Lent is a time for self-reflection and prayer. One way to do this is by exploring the life, actions, and teachings of Jesus. First Baptist Church of Athens, Georgia offers these devotions for your Lenten journey. Using the book, Seeing with Jesus, Developing a Worldview Shaped by the Gospels, written by Jack Glasgow, members from our church have prepared daily devotions offering insights, discoveries, and yes, sometimes questions. This week, our devotions correspond with Chapter 5, Seeing in the Upper Room. Today's devotion is from Bill McDonald. Listen as the piano arrangement of Be Thou My Vision, played by Alan MacArthur, points you to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus. Today's scripture is Hebrews 4, 12-16. For the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we must account. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. Have you ever wondered what Peter was thinking 
after the Last Supper, when Jesus began washing the disciples' feet. Clearly, he and perhaps the other disciples were worried and uncomfortable. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, sets the stage. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon of Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In his book, Seeing with Jesus, on page 73, Glasgow invites us to imagine the conflicting emotions the disciples feel. To have one's feet washed in cold water and towel dry feels good. It is a luxury. Yet, it seems awkward that Jesus is taking on the role of servant and washing their feet. Peter clearly demonstrates being uncomfortable as John describes in verses 6 through 8. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Glasgow says we are not surprised that impetuous Peter is the first to speak. He does not want Jesus to wash his feet. He believes that it's just not right, but Jesus insists. So Peter decides to opt for a larger bath. Jesus can go ahead and wash his head, his hands, but Jesus declines, saying the foot washing is enough. Personally, I wonder if Peter is not so impetuous, but actually agitated, particularly by Jesus' initial response that unless I wash you, you have no part of me. If Peter was agitated initially, then I imagine Jesus' follow-up response may have made him fearful that washing his feet was not good enough. William Barclay describes this Hebrews 4, 11, 13, as the terror of the world. Barclay believes the word of God penetrates to the division of soul and spirit that will be scrutinized by the Lord. Specifically, Barclay states, the point of this passage is that the word of God has come and is such that it cannot be disregarded. He goes on to say that the great fact about the word of God is that it is living issue for all people of all times. Other things may pass quietly into oblivion. Other things may acquire an academic or historic interest. But the word of God is something everyone must face. And its offer is something that we must accept or reject. So indeed, foot washing is more than enough for Jesus to signify the importance of serving others. In so doing, Jesus exhibited his commitment to first love, then serve as he faithfully demonstrated throughout his ministry. So what about us? Have you ever participated in a ceremonial foot washing? I had not until I attended a retreat 30 years ago this coming August at Christ Mountain Assembly in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Now, as an aside, I should tell you that Christ Mountain is a special place 
because it's where my maternal grandparents retired and personally built their house, their last house, between 1953 and 56. Upon passing, my parents kept the house until they had passed, and now my sisters and I maintain the house. Our extended family gathers there on a regular basis. So back to my story. With my colleagues from Carson Newman College, we planned a servant leadership retreat when, as a staff, we would prayerfully study strategies of servant leadership to enhance our work, support our students, and support our faculty and staff colleagues across the campus. I began the retreat by reading the poem entitled The Not-So-Silly Goose. In this piece, the unknown author explains why every fall we should stop what we're doing and really pay attention to and learn from the flying V formation that geese travel south for the winter. The author gives us three takeaway messages. First, people who share a common direction and sense of community arrive more quickly to a destination when we realize we are traveling on a thrust of one another. Thus, we should strive to stay together. Two, it is sensible to take turns when doing demanding jobs and be conscious of what we say and do whether we're in the lead or not. And finally, three, if we have the sense of the goose, we will stand by each other for whatever reason, whenever we cannot keep up. The two-day retreat culminated in a shared foot washing and communion service led by Jim, our campus minister. To say that this experience of flesh washing was new to me is an understatement. While I did not resist initially and then jump in with both feet like Peter, I still begrudgingly removed my shoes and watched apprehensively as colleagues came by one by one and ceremonially washed the respective feet of the rest of us in the group. When it was my turn, I did the same thing. Interesting finding out that it was easier for me to wash others' feet because I was more comfortable in doing that than receiving that grace from somebody else. However, this sense of frustration that I had at the beginning was still present. In fact, it had even persisted and was growing as we participated in communion. Normally, when I participate in communion, it has the opposite effect on me. Communion gives me a sense of peace, acceptance, for however a brief moment, a time when I feel in touch with Christ's divinity. After praying, I was still very uncomfortable and began to look around the room at the end of the communion, and my eyes settled on the small table in the center of the room where the towels, basin, and communal elements were present. As I began to focus my attention, I noticed the picture that Jim used in our communal activities actually belonged to my grandmother. He took it out of the house. In fact, he borrowed it without telling me about it, but that's not the point. The point is that this very old, ornate, green ceramic pincher that belonged to my grandmother that we used in the concluding act of our retreat had a large goose on it. It was then that a whole flood of bad memories that I had as a child about my grandmother came crashing through. By the time I was born, she was a widower. She and my grandfather had lived a tough life together in and out of VA hospitals, raising their three children, my mom and her two sisters, while my grandfather tried to recover from being mustard gassed in World War I. My only childhood memories of my grandmother revolved around her unfailing ability to stop me on a dime by grabbing my earlobe any time I was acting out. Or other times when I was sick, 
she created this concoction of honey and garlic that just would turn my toes. In fact, it was so bad, I think that's what cured me as opposed to any medicinal benefits of it. Later, we discovered after her death that she wrote in her journal. And oftentimes, her opinions that she wrote in her journals were about how my parents spoiled my two older sisters and me. And then later, when my younger sister was born, after a few months, she even wrote about her that she was just another McDonald. As I reflected on these memories and why they had dredged up at this retreat out of nowhere, an unbelievable sense, really an overwhelming sense of peace began to envelop me. A strong sense of acceptance and love were palatable and moved me deeply. I realized that this was not serendipity, but it was a touch of Jesus' divinity. He was challenging me to begin the process of letting go of my bad memories of my grandmother and begin to accept her for who she was and to begin to accept who I was at the time and who I've grown to be. I continue to reflect on this after the retreat. The lasting impact has resulted in me taking that picture home with me. Since that day, I've kept it in the office or at home where I can see it on a daily basis. Further, for these three decades hence, I have worked to better understand the need of mutual forgiveness and acceptance of not only others, but of myself for who we are, the life we are living, the good parts of it, and the bad parts of it as we strive to follow Jesus. Barclay describes Jesus' divinity as the perfect high priest, a high priest whose task is to bring the voice of God to men and women and to usher them into the presence of God. The high priest at once and at the same time must perfectly know what it is to be human and also know God. This is what the Hebrews epistle claims for Jesus. Do you have past experiences in where you have not forgiven others or yourself? If we are to see Jesus, we must be able to give the gift of sympathy, the gift of peace, and at the same time, be able to accept the quality of mercy that Jesus has for us. Finally, we must trust that God understands and is willing to help if we only make the decision to accept his help or guidance. For everyone to much is given, much more will be required. Let us pray. God, the Father of all grace, the Father of all love, we ask you to be with us during this time and ask you to be true representatives of who you are. Ask us to see the good in one another, even when we disagree, sometimes fundamentally on principle or purpose, but realize that we're all made children of God. We ask for your patience. We ask for you to give us patience. We ask for you to give us grace, to receive the grace and pass it on in order to build the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.